Welcome to River Oaks. It is so great to have you with us today. I want to mention a couple of things before we get into our message this morning. The first is that this coming Saturday is our fall festival here on our property from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. You don't have to register. You don't have to bring anything. It doesn't cost anything. And we'll have stuff for, well, a variety of things from bounce houses to hay rods. And I hope you'll come uh, join us. Hopefully we'll have some nice fall weather. That's this Saturday, this coming Saturday, the 22nd. And then on the very next day, next Sunday, um, during our first service at 9.15, we're going to have our next Discover River Oaks. It's a way to learn a little bit more about the ministries of our church, who we are, and it's a path to membership if you'd like to become a member. So we would ask if you'd like to come to that, that you would go online and register today. Our cutoff will be uh, noon tomorrow, I believe, so that would be helpful to us. Lastly, we have a team uh, this evening that will be going from our church to the Cherry Street Prison to help lead worship and serve there. So. Please keep those folks in your prayers. Well, we continue today with the remarkable, beautiful gospel of Luke. I love the, 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 the way Luke paints us this beautiful picture of Jesus through his healings, his miracles, his compassion for people, and now his teachings. In the setting in Luke 14, the first 24 verses that we'll look at today, is a dinner, a banquet, a meal to which Jesus has been invited by a Pharisee, not just any Pharisee, but a ruler of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a group within Judaism who held strictly to God's law, what we would refer to as the law of Moses found in the Old Testament, but they added to it hundreds of their own traditions. This often put them at odds with Jesus because of their legalism and the way they elevated their traditions over God's concern for people. So at this dinner to which Jesus has been invited by a ruler of the Pharisees, he takes the opportunity to do some significant teaching. And in doing so, he points out to us some things that are values of God's kingdom, some things that God values. And the first is this, God values seeking the well-being of people over maintaining human traditions. The chapter begins this way. One Sabbath, he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, and they were watching him carefully. The Pharisees and the lawyers, and by the way, lawyers, as the word is used here, does not refer to attorneys like we know them today, but these were teachers of the law, teachers of the Jewish law. They were watching him carefully often looking for a way to trip Jesus up in something he might say, find him contradicting God's law in some way. They're watching him carefully, and behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Apparently, dropsy was a condition of retaining a lot of bodily fluids, and it was evident to look at the man that he was ill. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? As you read through the Gospels, you'll often find Jesus <clears throat> doing a miracle of healing on the Sabbath day. In Matthew chapter 12, he went into a synagogue, and in this case, they asked Jesus the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Because there was a man before them who had a withered hand. And Jesus had said, which one of you, if he has a sheep and he falls into a pit on the Sabbath day, would not lift it out. 
of how much more value is a man than a sheep. And he said, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and he healed him. Well, in this case, Jesus is asking the question of the Pharisees and lawyers as he's at this dinner. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him. Could you imagine that being there when Jesus was doing these kind of miracles? Imagine seeing a man with a withered hand and Jesus takes him and heals him. Or a man who's all swollen up with these fluids and he heals him. A man who's blinded, you see this? And they remain silent. You'd think they'd bow down and say, you are the, the Lord, the Messiah. But they so clung to these human traditions that they had added to God's law. Apparently, the man with dropsy was not even an invited dinner guest because after healing him, he was sent away. And then Jesus says to them, much like he said in the synagogue, which of you, having a son or ox that's fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. The point is that God desires mercy, not this sacrificial clinging to human traditions. Religious traditions should never hinder the meeting of human need. God values seeking the well-being of people over maintaining human traditions. A second value we see here is living with humility before God and others. In verse 7, <clears throat> Jesus was observing the dinner guests now about to take their seats around the table. Commentators say that at a dinner meal like this in Jesus' time, um, typically the table would be arranged in a U-shape with the host of the dinner uh, seated at the base of the U or the curve of the U with the more honored places closest to the host extending out to the end of the U. And we read here in Luke 14, he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose places of honor, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. Can you imagine that? Most of us have been to weddings, and I have noticed at weddings, at least in recent years, at a reception, if there's a dinner afterwards, there's typically a, 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 a head table. And then all the other tables are out here. And at the head table, there's the bride and the groom, uh, parents maybe of the bride and groom, and maybe a, a best man and maid of honor. They're sitting at this table. They'll usually be served first. Sometimes they'll have some remarks or make some toast or something like that. But could you imagine a wedding reception like this Bride and groom are seated, but there's an empty place. The bride's sister, her maid of honor, is, is out getting some pictures taken or something, and her seat's empty, and the place is pretty full, and a very distant cousin has been invited to the wedding. One of those people you invite out of sheer obligation, not because you know them so well or love them so much. He comes in late. He sees the seat at the head table and says, ah, empty seat. I'll take that one. He sits down, and then the bride's sister walks up, and the bride has to say, I'm sorry, this is my sister's seat. And in front of the whole room, he steps down from the head table, and she says, I think there's a spot at that back table where they're feeding some noisy children back there. If you could just go sit back there. 
take the lowest seat. Well, Jesus paints this picture with his parable. And he applies it, and he says, when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. And then he gives this kingdom principle, and we find it more than once in the Gospels. It's an important principle. It's a principle that Jesus himself exemplified by both his life and his death. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The gospel itself is a gospel of the humility of our Savior. The Bible says concerning Christ, the Apostle Paul says that we're to have the same mind as Christ. Let this mind be in you, Paul writes, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess it. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The humility of our Savior leaves the glory of heaven, takes the lowest place. Now his name is above every other name. It's a kingdom principle. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So often in life, have you found it to be true as I have? We're tempted to promote ourselves in some way. The book of Proverbs 27 and verse 2 says, Let another man praise you. Let another person praise you, not your own mouth. Let someone else praise you, not yourself. Everyone who exalts himself will be abased, will be humble. Two words that should never go together arrogant and Christian. A Christian is to be like Christ, to display, to live out this humility that Jesus exemplifies. God values living with humility before him and others. Third, Jesus is still teaching, serving others to meet their needs and not for selfish gain. Now, Jesus had spoken to the people choosing the honored seats for themselves, and I expect everybody was uncomfortable by now. Probably the host was having second thoughts about why he invited Jesus in the first place, this ruler of the Pharisees. But now Jesus has some words for him. And he said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. He's speaking now to the motives of this man who invited him, who is possibly uh, positioning himself socially based on who he had invited. And he says, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus' point is this, don't serve people for what you can get out of it. I am... So thankful for the example I see among so many in our church. So many of you see people foster parenting, see people going to our jails, our our downtown jail and our prison, leading worship services, caring for the homeless. You're not doing that because people can repay you. 
Christ calls us to serve him because he served us. He said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, we read this passage, it does raise a question. When Jesus says, when you give a dinner, don't invite your friends or brothers, relatives, rich neighbors, does that mean you're not supposed to ever have your friends over for dinner? And I think the answer is no. No, that's not the point he's making. Jesus himself had dinner with his friends often. Lots of meals with his disciples, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, those who were close associates who even called friends. Jesus had meals with them. It is a good thing to do, to have fellowship with friends. His point is, don't serve somebody for what you can get out of it. Don't have a dinner because you're trying to win points with someone for what you can get out of it. The gospel is God serving, serving sinners. The gospel itself is a result of God's giving and serving nature. I think of this particular passage, Luke 14, when you give a feast, invite the poor, uh, the blind, etc. It's given rise to quite a lot of Christian mercy ministry over the years. In fact, uh, Beth and I have a friend, Larry Revis, missionary for many years um, in the Caribbean, who would annually have a Luke 14 banquet in Cuba to invite the poorest of the poor to a really nice meal. And then he started having these here in, in Winston-Salem, inviting people from the rescue mission, homeless, bringing these folks in by bus to a very, very nice, uh, elaborate meal, well-prepared, served by uh, members, often at Renolda Church, uh, Luke 14 banquets, based on this very passage. It's amazing how Jesus' teachings have shaped the world for 2,000 years, and he calls us to minister to the hurting, the poor, the oppressed, the needy. He keeps teaching, and he makes the point that what God values is prioritizing participation in his kingdom over all other things. Verse 15 tells us, one of those reclined at table with Jesus, this is still the same banquet dinner at the home of the ruler, a ruler of the Pharisees. One of those says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And apparently this man wanted to make the point that, well, uh, I've heard all you're saying and we, 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 we are good people. We do believe in the kingdom of God. Jesus told another parable, but he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. Jesus still at the same banquet. These Pharisees and lawyers, what he's, what's he saying now? I think Jesus in this parable is pointing to the, the sobering, the great reality that the kingdom of God, he's bringing. Jesus is the king. He's the way into the kingdom. But many in Israel, many of the Jews, 
including most likely many of those at the dinner with him, were rejecting the invitation to the kingdom because they were rejecting Christ. The excuses that people make in the parable, Lord, um, I bought a field, I got, I got to go see it. I bought some oxen, I've got to go check them out. These excuses remind us of how many people will be blinded to the urgency of entering the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus by other things. Jesus said in his parable of the sower, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lusts of other things, they will enter in and choke the word of God and it will become fruitless, bearing no fruit. Jesus' point is that entry into the kingdom of God means recognizing it's the most important thing, more important than examining your fields or your oxen, putting Christ first, honoring him, seeking him. When I, when I read these excuses people gave in the parable of Jesus, I'm also reminded of the, the danger of procrastinating when God has knocked on the door of your heart. Over the years, maybe you've heard, heard somebody say something like this. I, I want to become a Christian one day. I will one day. But I'm going to do that later in life because I am, I'm really having a good time right now. I'm enjoying myself, doing what I want to be doing. I want to party the way I want to party. I want to live the way I want to live. Before I die at some point, yeah, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I'm going to become a Christian. Don't count on that. Don't count if God is, is, is dealing with you, convicting you, revealing himself to you, showing your need. Don't count on that sense of the drawing, illumining, convicting work of the Holy Spirit always being there. I've been shocked sometimes when I've talked to some people who are very near the end of life, who say they believe in God, who say they believe in Jesus, who say they believe in life after death, but have no conviction, no urgency at all to humble themselves before Christ and confess their sins and receive him. I visited a woman one time in the hospital who I know was near death. I'm not sure she ever left the hospital, but she so clung to this religious view of things and just could not embrace the idea that she had sinned against a holy God and needed to put faith in Jesus who died on the cross and pay for her sins. She could not give up the religious tradition to come in faith to Jesus. It's always shocked me when I've talked to people who are not Christians who are, who are late in life, near death, that there's not more of an urgency there. I'm reminded of that when I think of this part of Jesus' teaching, this particular parable, the importance of prioritizing God, participation in God's kingdom over all other things. And then finally, Jesus includes this same parable, and I think we see another principle, something that's uh, a kingdom value, something God values for the people of his kingdom, and that is that we be inviting all people, including those excluded by society, into God's banquet. 
In Jesus' parable, the master has prepared this great banquet and has sent servants to, to, to invite people. Those invited are coming up with all kinds of excuses. And so he says, go to others, the, the, the poor, the blind, the lame, and there's still room. So he says, now go out to the highways and the hedges. Go to the uttermost parts and compel. There's an urgency here. Compel them to come in that my house may be filled. I think in this particular parable, Jesus is painting a picture of the, the work of the gospel, the open invitation to the kingdom of God, just as he did when he began preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Many of these Jews would reject the invitation and the gospel would go to the Gentiles, but it's the servants of the master who do the inviting. And I think those servants speak to you and me in our role in sharing our faith with other people, people near, people far. The Great Commission, I think it's a call to evangelism into sharing our faith. And it particularly reminds us that the gospel goes to the farthest places, the unreached part of the world. All this from, from a dinner. <laughs> And I do wonder what the host felt like at this point who had invited Jesus. He had addressed their pride. He had addressed all manner of things. And just to recap, in doing so, he's pointed out some things that I think God values. Number one, seeking the well-being of people over maintaining human tradition. Of how much more value, Jesus said, is a man than a sheep or an ox. Secondly, living with humility before God and others. Great kingdom principle that Jesus himself exemplified in the gospel. Thirdly, serving others to meet their needs and not for selfish gain. Fourth, prioritizing participation in God's kingdom over all other things. And then finally, inviting all people, including those excluded by society, into God's banquet. Let's pray about that today. Father, we come in the name of our Lord Jesus. And Lord, Lord Jesus, how we thank you for the teaching you gave. Please let your words wash us, shape us, correct us, and guide us. Please, by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, conform us more fully to your likeness, O Lord. And I pray now for any who have not yet taken the step of faith of embracing the Lord Jesus Christ as the way and the truth and the life. Perhaps you've never humbled yourself to acknowledge your sin and your need for his saving grace. If indeed you believe Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross and was raised from the dead, and if indeed you're willing to repent to turn from your sin and your control of your life to his control in his saving grace. I'd invite you today to call upon his name saying, Lord Jesus Christ, I need you. Be my Savior and my Lord this day and forevermore. Amen.